Hey everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and we've got a special show for you guys today. So as the title thumbnail alluded to, uh, we've got a grab bag episode in the best way. We are going to be talking about some new movies that just came out. Uh, nope and where the crawdads sing along with a movie that came out last year but i just recently watched on hbo called old um a lot of one word names this week the other one is in the heat of the night which today marks its anniversary so i was super excited to talk about that 55 years ago in the heat of the night came out does the movie still hold up um we're gonna have to talk about it and see but before we do, before we dive into all of those, uh, I wanted to try out something this week. Um, I know our uh, esteemed sisters over on the Nerdy Girls After Dark do a really fun thing at the beginning of their show. What's got them excited for the week? Uh, and I figured I would try out something similar to that, which is what have I been up to the last week when it comes to um, specific art and media? So in that sense... What, what's been going on? What have I been listening to? What have I been reading? What have I been watching? And I'm doing this because there's been a lot of new things this week that uh, came out. Uh, hi, Katie. Welcome. First off, uh, for the music vein, uh, it came out on Friday. I didn't think that it was going to be in stores on Friday, but it was, and I bought it on Saturday. Beyonce's Renaissance. Uh, love this album. I'm absolutely obsessed with it. I couldn't even tell you, except Break My Soul, I was going to say, I couldn't even tell you what my favorite track on it is. Uh, only I say Break My Soul because that was the single. I have not found a favorite track yet because I just keep listening to the entire album all the way through. Uh, and again, it's been so fun. It's it's a blast. And it's funny, too, because I saw something that um, I guess a lot of people these days are making house albums. Um Beyonce, uh, Drake. I think they said that Frank Ocean is coming out with one as well. Um, I'll have to defer to uh, my brother on those those things. But just very interesting that these musical trends kind of follow around. I will say I like Beyonce's album a lot more than Drake's. Uh, my brother would disagree, but hey, that's why we all have our own opinions. So what have I been reading this week? Well, Beyond Comics uh, I am obsessed with a current series right now called Ark of a Scythe. I'm on the third book called The Toll. Uh, the first one was called Scythe. The second book, Thunderhead. This is by Neil Schusterman. Um, guys, I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I, I, I love reading. I'm an avid reader. I used to just smoke through um, books when I was a kid. I was obsessed with the AR tests, if you guys remember those at all, if any of you out there. Uh, I would read the biggest books that I could so I could get the most AR points, and I would read them as fast as I could. But then as I got older, you know, things got busier. I started reading more comics, less books. And something was just like, why are you not reading books anymore? There's got to be so many good books out there. And I've been finding so many good books. But as you know, if you're an avid reader too, you buy a lot more books than you read. And that is no different with me. Um, and this was one that I bought on a whim, the the Scythe book. I had seen the cover and I heard the, the concept, which was a world where um, people don't die anymore. And so they, um, they have these Scythes who glean people, aka they kill them. And uh, the whole concept is incredibly fascinating. I scorched through the first book, uh, scorched through the second book, and then I bought the, the third book as I was finishing the second book. I was like, I can't. I, I got to read these right away. And I'm already 400 pages into this book, uh, and I've only been reading it for two days. So uh, a message out there to those of you that are maybe wanting to read more, 
Uh, it always feels so daunting to start a book, but once you get probably 50 to 100 pages into the book, it's really hard to put the book down. And uh, and then you're like, what? I'm always thinking to myself, what was I thinking? Like, why do I keep having a hard time picking up a book? Because then when I started, I'm done in a couple of days. My whole goal this year has been, and my goal last year too, is a book of month. So like last year, I read 12 books. This year, I'm planning to do the same though. I'm actually ahead of schedule now that I use the Goodreads app. And uh, it also counts my comic books, which is making me ahead of schedule. But I still plan on reading 12 actual books more than that if I can. Um, but like I said, anyone out there looking for a good new book to read or a good new series to dive into, I would highly recommend those. But on the comic book front, there's two things that have caught my interest in the last week or so. Um, the first one was a random buy when I was at Second and Charles over the weekend, same time that I was grabbing that Beyonce album. Uh, it is all new, all different Avengers. This is a deluxe edition hardcover. Uh, it collects uh, all new, all different Avengers 1 through 15, the annual, and some extras as well. This was by Mark Wade and Andy Kubert. Uh, but if you take a look at the cover, and for those of you listening in podcast format, on the cover of this, as you'll see, is Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. You got Sam Wilson, Captain America, Miles Morales, Spider Man. Uh, I believe that is Tony Stark, Iron Man, though it could be Riri Williams. I'm almost positive it's Tony Stark. Uh, you've got Thor, Jane Foster. You also have Vi Vision and Nova. So if you're wondering, you know, what the new direction of Marvel is uh, in terms of a lot of the characters they've been introducing in the shows, these comics may give us an indication of where things to come. We talked about this on the last episode that the champions who are those younger ones, Miss Marvel, Miles Morales, Nova, um, they even have a whole arc where they're fighting against the high evolutionary with the Avengers, these current Avengers. So I'm um, very excited about that. I haven't read, I've read this in the past. I just picked this up, but man, guys hit up, find your local half price books. If you're lucky enough to live in a state where you have that a second in Charles any place where you get discounted books, this one goes for $34.99. I paid $17 for it, plus got 10% off because there was a deal going on on the weekend. So um, always, you can always find these books, these stories for a cheaper price than what they say on the cover. No different than this one, which is going to change your guys' life. This is X Lives and X Deaths of Wolverine, another deluxe hardcover that uh, is by Benjamin Percy. Uh, Joshua Casara and I believe uh, Ricardo Vincente. I'm going to get the name here in just a second. Uh, Fre Frederico Vianciniti. Amazing art on all on all fronts. We already knew Joshua Casara could deliver from uh, his stint on X Force. Frederico uh, Vincentini. I apologize. He's an Italian artist. I should know that. I'm a little Italian myself. Um, it's incredible. This this essentially is the uh, stepping stone after Jonathan Hickman's Inferno. So this, in a sense, is like the sequel and the continuation of that main X-Men storyline. So if you guys remember, um, spoilers, and again, this is all, this story too, amazingly enough, is fully available on Marvel Unlimited. So you can read it all. It's five issues of X-Lives, five issues of X-Deaths. And the X-Lives portion uh, is Wolverine. The, the situation here is that uh, someone is trying to kill... Professor Xavier, Charles Xavier, in the past, uh, and it's uh, Omega Red, with the help from, and we called this, if you guys, if you guys listen to the, um, I think it is my 
uh, I think it was the Inferno storyline. Uh, I had a I had a guess in there that Mikhail Rasputin was going to be a huge problem going forward for the X Men based on X Force series, uh, and I was right. He is in this story, and he's kind of the mastermind behind some of these things. Um, and I won't spoil too much about this, but to say that in X Lives they use that same classic Days of Future Past trope to send Wolverine back into his consciousness at multiple points in time throughout his life to try and save Professor Xavier, uh, which is awesome. We get to see him way back in the day when Professor Xavier is being born. Uh, and, you know, Wolverine's still kind of an adult. We see Wolverine as a teenager when he's teaming up with Professor Xavier's dad, uh, which was amazing. Uh, and again, the art on this was absolutely incredible. But well, we see him in Vietnam. So uh, kind of like a Logan through time, if you guys remember that from... Uh, uh, Wolverine Origins or X-Men Origins Wolverine. I still really like that movie. I will always defend that movie. It's not a good movie uh, when you're looking at it with a critical lens, but it is a very fun movie to watch uh, nonetheless. And then the X-Deaths, uh, that one is the story continuing of Moira McTaggart. So if you remember what happened to her at the very end of uh, Inferno, she is no longer a mutant and she's almost looking to become more robotic which is ironic because she's trying to prevent that in her prior lives. But at this point, she is pushed to her breaking point. And I love this because they make Moira McTaggart a villain in this series. Uh, and it's not even like, a oh, you know, oh, well, Alex, it's a spoiler. No, it's, this is like a slow burn. Um, is she really a villain? You know, everyone is out to get her. It makes sense that she would be a villain sort of thing. And by the end of it, we have no idea what she's going to be doing next, which is crazy. A lot of prophecies coming true from the prior series. Uh, and just, holy cow, like I said, um, incredible, incredible story and a breeze to read. Again, this one, if you're um, looking to check it out, I would highly recommend doing so first on Marvel Unlimited. Uh, I'm a huge X-Men fan, so I had to have it in hard copy. But this is one of those premiere stories where... Look at, look at this. Okay, so here, as an example, this is a perfect example. The... Um, Look at the size. You can see the size difference here for those of you uh, listening in. X Lives XX, about half the size of all new uh, Avengers. And uh, all new Avengers was $34.99. This one is $75. Again, uh, I bought this on cheapgraphicnovels.com for $44 uh, pre order. So you can get it cheaper in that way. That's still a lot. And um, if you don't like the story, then just read it on Marvel Unlimited because then there's no cost. No cost to be the boss. But I would highly recommend checking it out because if Marvel was smart, Marvel Studios, I would adapt this into a, a Wolverine movie. This is the perfect movie. This is the perfect premise to uh, talk about you know what, what's Wolverine been up to, right? Like, let's get him in his brain, send him back to all these different points in his life but then also have this really compelling story that pushes the X-Men universe forward to the point where, you know, we don't really know what's going to happen next. And it's, it's a very exciting story. So comics wise, that's where we've been, you know, Marvel unlimited has been really good to us these last few weeks. We've been getting some really good releases, um, but hardcover wise or full story rise. This is, this is where I'm loving it. So with that said, Let's dive into some of these movies. So um, first off, let's talk about, because uh, we'll go, maybe we'll go, in, we're going to go in age order. So first we'll talk about In the Heat of the Night. So this was, uh, this movie is from 1967. So again, 55 years old. Uh, on the day today, I'm uh, almost positive that this is on HBO Max. 
but uh, I'm not sure. You can rent it from uh, Amazon Prime. I would find it somewhere streaming, though, if you could. I gave this movie a 7 out of 10, and I was being a little bit generous to it. I had seen it a long time ago, and I thought for uh, you know a second while I was watching it, uh, I was like, okay, it's, you know, it's an older movie, okay. And then I fell asleep while I was watching it. And I was like, you know what? I know this movie's good. So I bought it on Criterion. I have a physical copy of it. Uh, and it's worth it. It's worth it for the um, the story that it's trying to tell. But in terms of like a movie movie, it leaves a lot to be desired in my opinion. There's uh, just a lot of it I think focuses more on the uh, strife between Mr. or Officer Tibbs and the uh, police captain who uh, was Bill Gillespie. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, um, this is a, a story about a very small uh, small town in Mississippi where a uh, murder takes place. Opening is funny too, and this is uh, full spoilers for this 55-year-old movie. Um, we see the killer in the first scene, and I got to tell you guys, I knew that it was the killer from the minute I saw him because I was like, this guy's acting really weird. He's probably the murderer. Like, I wasn't even, you know, trying to sleuth it. It was just me joking. I was like, yeah, he's probably the murderer. And then it turns out he was the murderer. I was like, yeah, of course. Like, he's acting so creepy in the in this first scene. Uh, but regardless, they, the police find a dead body in the middle of their um, town square, I guess you could say, in an alley. And um, they're like, oh, you know, we need to go find who did this. And in classic fashion, you know, the cops are scouring the area and show up at the train station where our uh, our hero of this story, Sidney Potier, uh, is just sitting minding his own business. But again, you know, being a black man in Mississippi is immediately arrested and taken in. And uh, again, you know, complete eye rolling in these this day and age and also kind of an eye roll too to think that this stuff still happens in this day and age. But uh, the, the irony in the story is that Sydney's character is a cop. And so he's just playing this so cool. He is completely irritated and really mad, but he's trying to keep his calm. And uh, he's like, you know, he whips out his badge and he's like, do you not realize who I am, basically? And there's this one point, too. There's a very famous line in this movie where the police officer, the police chief's like, what do they call you back in your town? They call me Mr. Tibbs. Uh, it's a cl classic line. But uh, so the irony even further on top of this, again, you know, in this day and age, this just like during this time, I feel like this movie was a kind of a, a crack in Hollywood to um, show more stories like this of, you know, police uh, bias and racism in southern states and all states. But today, if this movie played, you would be like, oh, this movie is so on the nose and uh like oh wow and part of that is because it just like some of the the ironies of this of like he's he's a police officer oh of course the only profession he probably could have gotten away with any other way he would have ended up in jail so they're like let's make him a cop but then uh he's like if you don't believe me you know here's my precinct number call my boss and the guy's like yeah i think i am gonna call your boss and he calls him and then he comes back in and he's like your boss wants to talk to you and his boss tells the police chief that Virgil Tibbs is the best, hom like one of the best homicide detectives that they have, that he is like a the best. And so they're like, why don't you stay and help them solve this crime? And uh, Tibbs is just like, 
not having it, right? I mean, like, why would you want to help out the people that were just trying to arrest you and throwing slurs at him, uh, being very rude to him? And it just is insane to me. But he ends up agreeing to it because uh, in, in classic fashion, the police chief basically tell, says that, you know, I, the reason I think you're going to actually do this is because you would not miss a chance to show all of us up and, and show how dumb we all are, basically. And he's like, you're right. I'm going to do that. And uh, and he does do that. And the, but then the other frustrating part about this film was the complete ineptitude of the police force, which, again, is is made on purpose. But when you're looking at it from a storytelling perspective, again, in today's I, I would like to think that a lot of stories today in film are a lot more complex than they were back then. Right. We still you still have your, your greats. Right. And this movie, um, what, 1967, this came out two years before uh 2001 space odyssey uh no yeah well uh one year 1968 so you've got these there are movies that are out you know they're they're not common but there are movies that are out that are like whoa this is a mind blower this is uh you know a christopher nolan type of movie from back in the 60s this was not one of those movies because the entire premise from that point of i'm gonna help you guys solve this murder is literally him just doing his job investigating things going out and talking to people and the police unit arresting the wrong person every single time without consulting him so they arrest someone else and he comes in and he's like it can't be this guy this guy's left-handed and they're like oh yeah you're right he is left-handed but then they're like no we should keep him because the what you know the wife the widow of the dead guy you know we just want to we want to give her closure the widow is like how dare you? She's like, and I swear, if you take this man off the case, you are never going to hear the end of it because there's a long story there, of, you know, funding the town and all of this stuff. And that's what it ends up being, too. There's a, a piece of that as well. But um, and then the next one, they arrest another person and yada, yada, yada. No, it wasn't this guy because, uh, you know, X, Y and Z. He wasn't there at the time. He was out of town. How did you not know that? And so, you know, in my eyes, which are rolling at this point, I'm like, I get, we get it, right? The the inept white police force in Mississippi, of course, they're not they're equipped to solve this murder. And uh, by the end of it, we find out too that again, this murderer who, if you're going to watch this movie, you, you'll now know is the person from the first scene. I won't reveal which one. There's two of them, but uh, it's not even like a calculated political move. It's like this guy. He even explains himself at the end. It's like a really flimsy explanation of why he killed this guy. And you're just like. Okay, cool. Awesome. But like I said, the the message behind it of racism in the South and not judging people by the color of their skin and realizing that every person is a person uh, still stands true to this day. But there are a lot of other movies that are doing a better job at, at sharing that sort of story. But I think and I can't confirm I wasn't around back then, but this was one of those movies that I think turned the tide in that regard. So this this is one of the the uh, ancestors, I guess, of those types of stories. And so in a way, we needed to have this movie. And uh, again, so that means it wasn't a bad movie. I would highly recommend watching it during the summer. Again, it's called The Heat of the Night. It's a very um, heat-driven movie, I guess you could say. You know, the, the settings are always outside. There's It's in Mississippi in the summer-ish. It's like mid-early September. And there's a great In the Heat of the Night song that plays in the opening and in the ending. Great opening title sequence. I loved that as well. Um, and again, Sidney Poitier uh, did such a good job. Um, 
I, I like I, I've seen him in a couple of things. This is probably my favorite thing I've seen him in, if not uh, to Sir with Love. But um, yeah, so like I said, good movie. Is it an amazing movie? No. But uh, if you are a film buff or a cinemaphile, you got to check this one out. You got to see what it's all about. So in the heat of the night. Very good. Uh, next up, we've got M. Night Shyamalan's uh, newest film, Old, uh, which is not a uh, joke at. He's not joking on himself, saying that he's getting old or that his stories are getting old. Even though as I was watching this, I started feeling that way just a little bit. Um, but this was a good one. So again, I, I, I won't... Uh, actually, I am going to talk spoilers for this one because uh, this movie's been out for a year. This movie is available on HBO Max. So if you haven't seen it and you really want to go see it, you know, pause this show and go watch it. But if I'm suspecting right and you haven't seen it by now, you probably didn't want to see it. So maybe if I explain this to you, you will want to check it out. Uh, certainly not a long movie. Um, but it is a very hectic film. Uh, is a story of a family played by uh, Gail Garcia Bernal, uh, Vicky Crepes, uh, and then their two children who play are played by different characters throughout the movie. Obviously, right? They start getting older, but um, embodied by Alex Wolf, uh, we know him from Jumanji and Hereditary, and then also Thomason McKenzie, who we know now. Um, a star in the making from uh, Leave No Trace and um, what was it? Uh, Last Night in Soho. So, oh, so, oh, woo! but uh, both of them did great. I mean, they're not in it very much, but we also get appearances by Rufus Sewell, who I, uh, and I, I do this on IMDb. If you guys have the IMDb app, I heart the actors that I really like. And I, I hearted him after this movie because I was like, you know what? Every movie he's in, he plays a bad guy. He's a bad guy in Knight's Tale. He's a bad guy in The Holiday. Uh, there's, I know there's a couple of other movies he's in, but those are the two big ones and probably why I'm such a fan of him. He's a bad guy in this movie in a sense too. But I was like, he does such a good job being a bad guy that you got to love him. And so I uh, I did that. Abby Lee is also in this movie. She's from um, uh, Lovecraft Country and also from Mad Max. We also get Ken Lung who was from, for those of you that uh, uh, are keeping score at home, Ken Lung is from both, from two very unsuccessful Marvel movies. He was in X-Men 3 as the guy who had the pins come out of his head, and then he also played Karnak in Marvel's The Inhumans on the show. He does a great job in this movie. And him and his wife, uh, Niki Amuka Bird, um, who did a great job too, and then there's this other guy on the island uh, whose name is Aaron Pierre, his character's name is Midsize Sedan, and he's a rapper. Um, so kind of setting the stage, this family goes to a resort on an island. Um, everything's paid for, all expenses, all that sort of stuff. And um, they're enjoying themselves. There's a lot of fun stuff, a lot of things to do. And then one day, the uh, the hotel manager says, do you guys, you know, we have a very special beach that we only take certain guests to, and you guys fit the bill. Um are you interested? We'll take you there today. And they're like, yeah, sure. Why not? It's the beach. And so when they arrive, um, he, you know, M night Shyamalan is actually the driver and he ends up being actually one of the conspirators in this, uh, social experiment, I guess you could say. And they get to this beach, walk through some caves and they're taught that he admits it when they're driving, you know, this beach has a lot of special minerals, a lot of special qualities about this beach. Um, which I was like, 
hmm, okay, interesting. I can I can go with that. Uh, and he says, if you guys, uh, he goes, I'm gonna we'll pick you up at five, or if you want to leave earlier, give us a call. And so then they get out there. There's already another family that's out there, or I guess um, mid-sized sedan is already out there. But then another family comes in later. They find a few things while they're on this beach very quickly. They cannot leave. <laughs> Anytime that they walk back the way that they came, they black out and then they end back up on the beach. Um, they can't swim away. I mean, they think that they can at the, at the beginning of it, but they can't swim away. They can't escape. There's a dead body on the beach, mid-sized Sinan's uh, girlfriend, I guess. And he has no idea how she died, uh, but they all think that he did it, which, again, it's part of the movie. Um, but then all of a sudden, some strange things start happening. Some people start getting old and uh boy do they so uh rufus sewell his name's charles he's a doctor his mom is with him along with uh abby lee who plays who plays crystal that's his like wife and then they have a little daughter who's like three years old honestly guys this is the creepiest part of the whole movie this three-year-old daughter ages up to like 15 or 16 alex wolf's character so the other two kids all three of those kids are growing up basically almost instantaneously they get it down to where it's like Every few minutes is like a year or two. Some, it's a lot of time. And there's this weird scene where, at the point where they're like coming to be teenagers, basically. And then this girl who was three years old walks out and is pregnant. And they're like, what is going on? This is absolutely crazy. How is this possible? And then the baby is born. You know, she's pregnant in the span of nine months is like 10 minutes. So um, the baby is born. The baby dies because um something about it aging or eh, they didn't explain it very well but when they watched it, i was like okay fine i'll buy it um at the same time there's a dog that dies the mother of this doctor guy she dies because she's super old already and uh and so then the rest of them are like kind of figuring it out and so um we'll call him karnak but uh his name is jaron he always reminds everyone my name is jaron uh but jaron and patricia his wife they are like the same people and she's a psychologist, I believe. And he is a nurse. And so they're all like very affluent in that sense, but they're like, okay, like we need to all stay together. We need to make sure that we're all experiencing the same thing because you know, the minute that somebody goes crazy, right? Like things start spiraling. So we need to make sure that we're all under like anytime someone sees something crazy, it's like, did you guys all see that? Yes. Okay, cool. So they're all on the same boat in a sense or in the same, you know, Island. Um, and it's very interesting because they start, again, they start aging older and older. And at the same time, we start finding out something very interesting about these people. All of them have, all of the adults, I believe it is, all of the adults have some sort of medical condition. Uh, what is it? Vicky Crapes, who plays, her name's Prisha. She has some sort of tumor, which is wild like literally the tumor ends up growing really big in her stomach and to the point where she passes out um and they cut it out of her but they can't break her skin they break her skin like anytime anyone gets cut it immediately heals because time heals all wounds right hey but uh she gets cut open and then they're like having to hold the wound open to pull out the tumor so she's healed she gets fixed she's like oh my gosh this is a miracle but then it gets to this point where very very sadly you know she starts losing her hearing her husband starts losing his sight. And at the same time, we're starting to find out that they their marriage is on the on the rocks, on the coral, as you might say, in this island. And um, 
but they're they're coming to terms with this and starting to re- there's a great message in this movie the message is better than the movie uh, which is to be in the present moment and to enjoy life as it comes to not worry about the past not worry about the future it's going to come just enjoy the here and now because again they can't on this island everything is speeding up because when's the last time you said i literally say this every day at work the time is flying where have all the months gone i literally told someone today that uh, 2023 will be here in a week uh which is kind of accurate but this movie really epitomized that of like okay we need to focus on what we have and it's really sad to say or to see these kids growing up um, so you've got these people in like adult bodies now that are still like six or seven years old. Um, they don't know how to take all this stuff. They're freaking out. And uh, by the end of it, you know, they notice there's someone watching them up from the cliffs. There's like a little glint. And um, they're like, oh, you know, what's going on? There's some watching us. There's a bunch of trash on the side of the island from the prior people who died. Uh, it's just crazy. And so you're trying to figure it out. What's the, what's the Shyamalan twist? What's the mystery in all this? And so by the end of the movie... Um, again, if you don't want to hear any spoilers, uh, you know, cover your ears, put your earmuffs on, or, uh, we're about to start. It's all going to be really quick though. By the end of the movie, everyone on the Island is dead except for the two kids. And they are now in their fifties. Uh, but they probably have the minds of a teenager, I guess at this point, I have no idea, but they find a booklet that has the names of a bunch of other people that have been on the Island. Someone else was taking down notes and uh trying to figure out what was going on um so they grab this booklet but then they're like okay you know we've tried everything one of the people tries to escape by sea they die um someone and and again they just they disappear and then they die so we don't know what's going on but uh they see this coral and there's this there's funny there's like this little kid at the beginning of the movie who is the nephew yeah oh mamacita's in the is in the chat loving the spoilers uh, guys, I have never met someone who is more uh, voracious for uh, spoilers than my mom, uh, besides maybe my wife. But um, yeah, we love it. And I, I love saying them. I just don't love hearing them. So um, they, th- there's a kid at the beginning of the movie who's like friends with the kid, this kid now who's an adult. And he was like, yeah, you know, I don't have any friends on this island. My uncle doesn't let my uncle's the guy who runs the place, but he doesn't let me do anything. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. We get back to this point and that kid had wrote a note, like a, a, an encrypted note. They were playing some game and he wrote the kid an encrypted note. And so he finally decrypts it after all these years, you know, really like a day. Uh, I think they end up being on the on the beach for like two days total, which is insane. Again, if you don't want to be stressed, don't watch this movie because it is very like, OK, just tell me what's going to happen, because this is one of those movies, mom, where I would want spoilers because way too stressful. Um, but he decrypts it and it says, my uncle doesn't like the coral or something like that. And there's this big swath of coral out in the, in the like 50 feet out in the water. And they're like, well, I wonder I wonder why. And so they uh, they swim out there. And I'm trying to remember why they don't they didn't like the coral either. But they they swim out there and they hide in the coral. The people up top now think everyone's dead. And so we then get a reveal that this beach actually there's no there is no Shyamalan twist for this beach. This beach has mineral type properties in the rocks, in the sand, in the way that it's it was made naturally that ages people incredibly fast. It ages their bodies up. And so what's been going on, the twist is this entire resort 
is a cover for medical testing. And so they are finding people who have these really terrible medical conditions, bringing them to the beach, or, and, and then they, uh, they give them like a special drink when they arrive at the resort. And that drink is their treatment. And so, you know, whatever that is, the, the secret cure to Alzheimer's or whatever it is, they're ingesting this drink. And then instead, and, and again, you know, you would think about it from an unbiased perspective. This idea is brilliant. They're like, and the doctors, you know, saying, congratulations, everybody. We just cured X, Y, and Z because we, you know, we put it in and we were able to see the effects of that drug over the span of 50 years in two days. So they're essentially doing speed trials of these medical products. But uh, obviously the second twist is the kids didn't die. They hid in the coral for a little bit, got out, get back to the resort. There's a cop at the resort who they remembered from before. A couple days ago, they said hi to this cop and now they're you know 50 years old. So they give the cop the booklet, the, the place gets arrested. And um, I don't even think there was, it was one of those one and done movies, which is great. There wasn't like a twist at the very end, I don't think. Um, yeah, I think it just ends, but I, I don't know. I, like I said, I liked that concept. Cause it was like, okay, you know, if we're trying to, if a couple people are like, okay, yeah, but you know what you do, you get consent from them first. Hey, would you like to, you have a terminal illness and you're going to die in a couple of years. Would you like to be a part of a trial where perhaps you'll be cured? Um, maybe they would say yes, but yeah, lying to them and all that stuff. Totally not cool. Uh, but like I said, this movie was, it was fine. I, uh, I gave it a six out of 10. It was okay. Would I watch it again? No. Uh, but like I said, the concept of this movie was really cool. Uh, but the story itself was a little too stressful and uh, very, the whole movie takes place on that beach. Um, so that is old. Uh, but the next film uh, that we'll talk, we're going to, we're going to, we're saving nope for last. Uh, next, we're going to talk about where the crawdads sing. So uh, directed by Olivia Newman, written by Delia Owens, who wrote the book, uh, screenplay by Lucy Alibar with Daisy Edgar Jones. She plays uh, Kaya. And then Taylor John Smith plays Tate. Uh, Harris Dickinson playing Chase Andrews. That was a, an interesting watch. Uh, Tom Milton uh, played by David Strathern, who's always a classic. So um, for those of you that have not read this book, I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, it was a really good book. I read it last year and couldn't put it down. The movie is almost identical to the book. There's obviously a lot, I think, that they cut out, which makes sense. Again, you can't put a whole book into a movie, but in terms of being faithful to the, the book, I'd say that they totally were. There's a lot of spots where I was like, I specifically remember reading that line because, um, you know, there's, there's some really great lines in the book, and they use a lot of those lines in the movie. Uh, but this is a story, and again, I won't spoil these movies uh, just because they're so new. Um, or maybe I will. We'll see. We'll see as we get there. We'll uh, we'll make that decision. But Where the Crawdads Sing is about a young girl who is raised in the marsh uh, by her absent father after her mother leaves due to him being abusive. The rest of her siblings leave as well, which was kind of rough. I don't know why no one took her with, but this is based in the 1950s, so things were probably a little different. So she's left alone with her dad. She basically has to raise herself in the marsh. She's called the marsh girl by uh, the town, uh, derogatory term. They don't like her, and she just she just wants someone. She is so alone in this world, and eventually her dad leaves too. So she's all by herself in this house, and so she basically is being raised by the marsh. She learns how to, you know, do a boat. She fishes for clams. 
uh, and sells them at Jumpin's. Uh, and Jumpin and Mabel were great as well in this as being the you know the caring, um, really her her foster parents in a sense. You know they never really helped her because they couldn't, I guess, uh, but they helped her whenever they could. And so she would always bring clams to them and whatnot to sell uh, for grits and all of that. So just a very sad tale. Um, and they, they play it out perfectly. I mean, I've, I've got it up on IMDb right now and I'm watching the, the scene where she walks into school and she doesn't have shoes and gets made fun of directly from the book and, and really depressing. But the, the interest for this movie is in the present day. Uh, she is arrested and put on trial for the murder of uh, a, a guy that she was dating for a little while named Chase Andrews, who is the well-to-do guy in town. He was a football player, high school sweetheart sort of thing. And we get to see the tale of her growing up. We see her befriending this other guy named Tate. They become best friends. Tate teaches her how to read and write and gets to the point where he actually encourages, and I, this is like one of my favorite parts of the book too, is that he encourages her to submit her drawings. She, she collects shells and feathers and little bits and baubles from the marsh and draws pictures of the birds that she sees and all of this and he's like this is really good stuff kyle like you could submit this to a publisher and one day he comes and gives her like a list of yeah i looked into it here's some publishers like all you got to do is reach out to them uh and it was just really cool to see that duality of a man who really cared about her and then this other guy who absolutely didn't care about her at all and was using her and we, you don't see it as much in the book. And this is where I would say is kind of a downfall for this movie is they don't dive too deeply into the situation. This is one of those movies where if you read the book, uh, you'll probably be okay with the movie. You'll be like, okay, yeah, that was good. That was good. You may even really like it because there's some really great parts to it. But if you hadn't read the book and you were going into this with a critical eye, you probably wouldn't like this movie because there's a lot of stuff that they don't explain. Like they never go into Chase's backstory of what he, you know, oh, he was the high school sweetheart. All we find out at one point is that he's literally engaged to somebody while he was with Kaya. And she just gets so mad about that too. And it gets to a point where he tries to um, take advantage of her and she kind of strikes back and, and we get to see the great voiceovers, just like from the book when she's explaining, you know, animals, they have to, they have to do what they can to survive. Uh, and so she, you know, kind of escapes, but in, in present day, again, she's like, I didn't kill this man. Um, she's got a clean alibi. She gets her book published and she was with the publisher the night of, and this guy, Tom Milton is trying to defend her. So again, you know, even the court piece of it was you get some backstory from it, but they don't dive too deep into it. So it's a very surface level book. I was our movie. I was kind of hoping they'd go a little further out into, mar into the marsh, maybe as far as where the crawdads sing, but uh, we we didn't get to, we didn't get that in this movie, but again, it was enough for me. We still really enjoyed it. I will say, I did get I did catch a little grief from my wife at the very end of this movie because, um, and we will say this as spoilers. So if you have not seen this movie, skip ahead a couple of minutes, pause it, come back. Again, you can kind of tell from some of the overturns in the movie, but she is um, she's found not guilty. And uh, then she goes, she grows old with Tate and we get to see her growing old. And it is so sad, uh, at least to me, I always have a tough time watching people grow older just because, you know, circle of life sort of stuff. Uh, and we literally get to see that on screen. So we both uh, burst into tears at the end of the movie. And uh, Lisa got all upset with me. She was like, you didn't tell me this movie was going to be this sad. Um, but it, but it was, it was sad in a good way though. But we find out after she dies 
that she's the one who killed him and she got away with it. And uh, that is one of my favorite twists in a book in a really long time, though it's made a little more suspect when uh, I look, I don't know if it's the publicity. I don't know if they did this on purpose, but literally the week the movie came out, a bunch of articles were written about how in real life, Delia Owens and her husband uh, were wanted in questioning of a murder in uh, Africa when they were there very similar circumstances. And I'm like, ah, is, th is that real? Or is that actually publicity for the movie? It is real. Actually that all, it all happened. They, you know, unconfirmed if they were the ones who did it, but it's like, you know, it was unconfirmed that Kaya did it as well. So, you know, was she bragging about it in this book? We'll never know. She's probably going to take it to her grave. So again, if you're, if you're interested in any of that sort of stuff, that whole 1950s feel, I believe it uh, takes place. And it just says the deep South. I'm pretty sure it's in the Carolinas. Um, but other than that, cinematography is gorgeous. There are so many beautiful shots of rivers and marsh and beaches and just gulls and birds and beautiful flora and fauna. Again, that's the sort of stuff that I wanted to see the movie for. Um, you know me, I love animals. So um, that was cool. Um, overall, though, like I said, uh, basic movie. If you've, if you've seen the read the book, you're going to know what happens. If you, you haven't, there's like a 60% chance that you're going to be able to guess what happens. But um, it was good. Like I said, I enjoyed it. I gave that one 7 out of 10. Uh, so finally, we are getting to the main attraction. So, um, Alex, are you going to talk about... Finally, are you going to talk about this movie? Uh, nope. Just kidding. Uh, yup, I actually am going to be talking about this movie. Uh, nope. Jordan Peele, written, directed starring the usual cast of characters and a couple of great new faces. You got Daniel Kaluuya playing OJ Haywood, Kiki Palmer playing his sister Emerald. Uh, Brandon Perea plays Angel, who is a uh, like a Circuit City, um, I think it's Fry's Electronics in the movie, uh, that he just works there. He installs some stuff for them. Uh, Michael Wincott as Antlers Holst, who is a filmmaker. And then Steven Yoon as Ricky Jupe park uh plus keith davis plays otis haywood which is uh the haywood's father guys this movie was awesome this movie was really good if you are a fan of the jordan peele movies i highly recommend you check this one out and honestly this is one of those movies you should see in theaters if you can see it in imax uh, because the movie was filmed in imax and it is incredible in that sense i mean the movie is about aliens right so um, and we, we are going to talk spoilers about this movie. So if you have not seen it and you're really wanting to and you don't want to be spoiled, come back. I know I keep saying that, but I, I, I don't want to ruin anyone's movie going experience. But there aren't really a lot of spoilers in this movie, uh, which I was impressed with. This was if I'm ranking these. Uh, this is my least favorite. And that's such a weird thing to say of the three Jordan Peele movies that we have. Um, I still love this movie. It's just the, I liked the other two ones better. And I think part of that was because there's some wild twists in those movies, right? There isn't that big of them. There is definitely a twist, and we will get to it. But overall, it's a very straightforward film. So the Haywoods are the premier uh, horse wranglers and horse trainers, black-owned in California. And they tout, which I thought was really cool, didn't know this, Jordan Peele always finds a way to, to stick in a little bit of history, Hollywood history. Um, they talk about the very first movie, which was a, uh, a very short still. Some person wanted a wanted to photograph 
and prove that when a horse is running, that all four of its hooves are off the ground. And so in order to do so, they created a film by taking a bunch of pictures back to back to back. And so they had a black jockey on top of a horse riding it as these shot stills are showing that, yes. And they are talking about in this movie that, you know, they, and I don't even remember the guy's name, which is ironic because they said, you know, everybody knows the name of the guy who made this film. This is famous, right? This is the first movie, but no one knows the name of that jockey uh, who was the very first movie star ever on screen. And yet he has forgotten the history as many uh, people of color have been. And it, they, in this movie, what's interesting though, is they say they are the descendant of that movie or of that guy. So they said, we are basically Hollywood royalty. And that's why they're so close with the horses is because they, they do that. So that's like their whole bit. Um, but the problem is their father is kind of the one who ran the show. And he passes away in the beginning of the movie from a really strange incident. Um, there's a bunch of shaking and stuff and a bunch of things start falling from the sky. Um, forks and nickels and weird stuff. And he gets hit by a few of them in the head and, you know, bleeds out and dies uh, as they're taking him to the hospital. And so now this horse ranch, this horse wrangling business uh, has fallen to OJ and Emerald. Uh, Emerald wants nothing to do with it. She has left. She is pursuing her own hustles. Uh, I got to say, guys, Kiki Palmer. I love Kiki Palmer. I've only seen her in a few things, but every time I watch her, I'm just, I'm in rapture as I watch her. I'm like, wow, this is just she is so good. And in this movie, she is so good at playing someone that I absolutely hate. <laughs> if you're looking for what are some of Alex's pet peeves, just watch Emerald Haywood. <laughs> I do not like her in this film at all. In the beginning, she, um, her, her brother and, and Daniel Kaluuya plays such a um, stoic character. He does not talk a lot. He's very in his feelings. He is very quiet. Uh, and I think part of that's because of what happened with his dad, right? It was a very, he was there with his dad when he died, but he's also just was always a very calm kind of person and Emerald. She is very outgoing, very fun, but is also very flighty. And so there's this really uh, meant to be, I think, tense scene uh, in the beginning when he's bringing the horse out on set and trying to explain to the people you know, how this works, you, you know, don't look the horse in the eyes, do not do this, don't do that. And they're not really even listening. And he's, he's like, I don't even he's getting very distressed. But then Emerald shows up and she's late. And she's the one who was supposed to have done this. And so I'm like, okay, boom, tardiness. Nope, out of here. Uh, maybe that's what we'll start doing all the nopes for Emerald. So she comes up, she gives a great speech again, explains that whole thing about the horse movie. Um, and says, but then she also starts talking about all her side hustles. If you want some embroidery done, if you want this done, like I'm your gal. And then she walks away and starts conversing with some other person on the other side of the set. And he's left alone again. And so I was like, nope, nope, absolutely not. Like get back over there with your brother. He needs you. But again, for her character, it made total sense because she doesn't really want anything to do with this anymore. She's moving on to greener pastures. She's trying to become her own person, which you can't blame. Right. And I think OJ's kind of hung off on this because um, in a way he kind of wants to as well, but he's stuck with this now. He's stuck with this ranch uh, in the middle of California. And so, uh, and then there's an incident on set with the horse because no one listened and it's like, oh, great. And so then we find out a little more at this point. And I'd point out too, the opening scene of this movie uh, is this really weird scene with a monkey and this chimp 
is uh, throughout the film showing how this was, there was like the show that we then find Steven Yoon's character, uh, Jupe, uh, was in that show. So it's this weird, you know, 90s sitcom where one of the members of the family is a monkey. Uh, but then the monkey snaps in a scene and like kills some of the cast on on live, you know, taping. Uh, and he's hiding under the table as a little kid. And so, you know, we find all this out midway through the film. Um, but there's just this this um, message that's going through the movie at this point. And I loved this, too. Um, I'm a big fan of chapters displayed on screen in a movie. And this one has it every, you know, the screen goes black and it's the name of a horse uh, from one of the horses in the farm. And there's like four of them. But um, there's just this idea with the horses, with this chimp sort of mini backstory that nature you can't control it. Like nature is going to just do its thing. You can do as much as you can to try and wrangle a horse, to break a horse, to film a chimp. Uh, but at the end of the day, one wrong little thing, like the person kind of setting off this horse at the beginning of the movie that I think ends up kicking somebody. Uh, and then same thing with this chimp beating somebody. There's like they, a girl, the girl had brought him balloons for his birthday or something in the scene. And one of the balloons pops and that's what sets the monkey off. Um, that just like, again, you can train someone to be a certain way, but under the right circumstances, they are going to crack and they're going to go right back to their base in instincts, which comes in handy for uh, the thing that we have not talked about yet, the main piece of this film. Uh, but we're getting there because um, we start seeing some strange happenings on the ranch. Uh, and, and now Kiki Palmer's character is kind of staying over there for a little bit um, and they see a spaceship. And it's very brief. It's very fleeting. But they're like, what? And the spaceship's like wandering around. And I think, if I'm remembering right, it's been a few weeks since I've seen the movie. But it abducts a horse or something like that. Um, to the point where like, it's confirmed. They're like, we know that there's... And, and so at this point now, we get to this other theme in the movie. Which is the true theme of this movie. I think that that nature theme is like a secondary theme. The big one being how important spectacle... And um, just the com the commoditization of uh, film basically is. So it's ironic that this is a film. But just this idea, and again, this idea comes straight from Emerald. She's like, what if we captured this UFO on, on film? We would be famous. We wouldn't need this horse wrench anymore. You could sell. And that's kind of what he's been doing with Jupe. Um, is he <laughs> Jupe runs this like western town uh, right across the way from their ranch on the other side of uh, of like a hill uh, everyone comes there it's like your classic you know old timey ranch place they have some cool events and things going on and so oj's been selling his horses or now he says he's leasing them or leasing to own like he's been selling them to jupe and now he wants to buy a few of them back but there's they've got this relationship with him and so again they're just trying to make do with what's going on hey justin welcome and uh, and just we're we're, uh, we're talking spoilers for Nope right now. If you haven't seen the movie uh, and you don't want to hear spoilers, um, you have been warned. But he uh, so they're like, what if we film the UFO? Like, what if we capture it on film? If we did, we would be rich and we wouldn't need to worry about this horse ranch anymore. Like, we could actually go on living our lives. Um, especially when you look at the juxtaposition of that of like the um, the commoditization of that first film of the the jockey is completely unknown probably didn't get a dime for it yet that person became very rich and famous it's all about who's in control of the camera in a sense and so they go to fries 
and uh, they're purchasing a bunch of uh, different cameras and stuff to set up around the ranch. And this guy, Angel, does such a good job at playing the most disgruntled person. He's like so annoyed with them because she's asking questions and all of that. But gets to the point where he's like, you know, you don't need this much camera footage. What are you guys trying to capture? And she's like, he's like, well, he says, what are you guys trying to capture? A UFO? And they're like, ha, 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 nope. Uh, and they don't say it that way, but they totally should have. But he kind of catches on and he's like, do you guys want me to help you install the stuff? And they're like, nah, nah. And he's like, okay, well, just so you know, it's going to take you probably like eight or nine hours to install it. And that, you know, basically gives them the whole, the whole him haw. And, and uh, he's like, yeah, fine. You're going to install it. So he comes to the house, he's setting up cameras everywhere and he's going on. And I love, I, I love aliens guys made no secret about that. We know I love aliens. Uh, and he starts talking about some of that stuff. Oh, we didn't know who the aliens, what aliens are, right? Some people say they're here to help us. Some say they're here to hurt us. Some say they're us from the future. Like all of these things you've seen on, and even mentions it like on ancient aliens, man, you got to check it out. Um, and one of the interesting pieces I've read too is, is sometimes um, you see, like if you've ever watched the fourth kind, uh, the owls in that movie, which still give me nightmares, uh, were indicative of aliens being near. They don't necessarily do that in this movie, but there are alien species that people have talked about that look like praying mantis. Uh, and this is that's an aside because then the first night when they're watching, a praying mantis walks up in front of the camera that they have there just as uh, the UFO is back. Like, this is clearly this UFO. This mantis is over the camera the entire time. And it's like, that couldn't have been a coincidence. And so things are starting to get a little scary on the ranch. There is a terrifying scene where um, these, uh, it seems like there's some, I won't spoil this, but it appears that there are some, some alien activity in the barn that hands down is the scariest scene in the movie, but then it is deflated uh, at the end of it. And you'll know exactly why when you watch it, um, I'm not going to say any more than that. Uh, but, but by the end of this, we see again, other people are starting to try and get in on it. Um, again, for this idea of spectacle, who can be the one to capture this footage? Uh, we see TMZ shows up to try and catch it, and they don't even know what they're looking for. Like the only people who really know are OJ and, and Emerald. Um, but they are trying their best to capture it on film. They even call this guy, Michael Wincott um, or Antlers, who he was like the film guy on the movie at the very beginning and are trying to get him to come to the ranch to film this stuff. And eventually word is starting to spread in, in certain circles. And so he does come to the ranch and he's like, I believe like I'm ready to go on this. He even comes with a analog camera. One of the ones that you would have to kind of turn with your arm because every time they try capturing it on film, you know, the, the EMPs of the UFO or whatever are ruining all of the electronics. And so they've got like a whole thing set up on the side of the hill. Uh, Angel's involved now, like this whole bit. And uh, I mean, I'm skipping some things. Like I said, I don't want to spoil the whole film. I'll just tell you some pieces of it. But like I said, the soundtrack in this movie is awesome. The, the music they pick. There's a lot of, of uh, non-music. There's a lot of just emptiness when you're watching it of just vast valleys. And, and like I said, in IMAX, the sky is just absolutely gorgeous. Like you're looking up at just the, you, you will never look at the sky the same again. They do a lot of work with clouds in this film. Uh, that was really impressive. Very um, spooky in a sense. There's this bit where they're like, that cloud has not moved for days. That is the UFO. It's right there. Um, but then we find out 
Uh, and again, at the very end of this, um, you know, this is a spoiler, but we find out that it is not a UFO, but it is actually a creature. So I guess you could say, yeah, but it isn't. It is not a UFO because it is no longer an unidentified flying object. We know what it is. It is a crazy creature that, um, and I won't even begin to, begin to describe it because that's. I feel like that's a spoiler. But it's this cool. It's really cool, honestly, in the way that the saucer looks is kind of like it's its eye. And so through this secondary theme I'm talking about, OJ figures out we can train this thing. Not like, oh, great, here we go. We're going to get the next the next show. But they tra train it to follow it and to follow him in a certain direction so that they can capture it on film. And so it gets back to this idea of like, and he even says it, you know, even a monster can be trained, uh, which was fascinating. And so by the end of it, though, Again, you know, there's mistakes are made, other things happen, and the footage is busted in certain spots. But there's this well that's at the the uh, Jupe's ranch that you like. You can put a coin in and turn it, and it takes a photo of you looking in the well. And so, in ironic fashion, just like her ancestor, um, the the guy on the horse, she is trying to capture on camera this creature and only through stills uh and that's basically the end of the movie again there's there's some uh other pieces to it again i don't want to reveal everything but safe to say it was a very satisfying movie um it was very eerie off-putting uh i was very nervous for a lot of it and i would this movie's i know this movie will play better a second time because i know what's coming uh but even even the first time i was just like Jordan Peele has some sort of magic that he has now, in my humble opinion, he is up there with Christopher Nolan and, um, you know, whoever it is that you would say, uh, Edgar Wright, those people where when you watch their movie, you're like, oh, that's an Edgar Wright movie. That's a Steven Spielberg movie. That is a Jordan Peele movie. And he is able to do that. He has had three number one releases, uh, number one box office releases. Uh, every single time, all three of his movies have been number one at the box office and, uh, which is incredible, unheard of for a brand new person like this, but he has brand recognition now. So people are like, Oh, that's a Jordan Peele movie. It's like a Marvel movie at this point. We got to go see that movie in theaters. We got to go see it opening weekend. Uh, and that's what happened. This movie did not do as well as us. Us was insane. That movie did so good. And that one's still my top of the three. But like I said, Go check this out in theaters because it's totally worth it. Um, you're, it's 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 a different movie. It's an original film, so there's no continuity that you need to worry about. There's no oh, you know what? What do I need to catch up on? There's literally nothing, it, and it's just cool. Again, if you're a fan of aliens, if you're a fan of that old timey kind of like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, sort of atmosphere, and uh, again, if you're a fan of Jordan Peele movies, you got to check this out. So. That is my review roundup, uh, and I'm impressed. We're right here at hitting at just at under an hour. Um, thanks to all of you who tuned in. Uh, this was a fun live stream. I'm glad I got to talk about a bunch of stuff. Um, we will be back next week, TBD, on what the topic is going to be. I am still working that out. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening and for Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein. We will see you at the movies. Thank you.